You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is BC on the cusp, how LNG will open the door to a generational opportunity, plus what MPs on the case of grocery CEOs teach us about masterful misdirection. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Wonderful to be here. Good morning. Now, Margareta, let's dive into it. What's the latest in BC politics? How does LNG tie into it? The pressure is growing for Premier Eby and his cabinet to grant critical environmental assessment approvals and permits to a number of major BC liquefied natural gas, that's LNG export projects, including wood fiber LNG, uh, which is uh, just north of Vancouver uh, near Squamish, uh, Cedar LNG on the northwest uh, coast, as well as Xylism's LNG, as well as others. And a number of experts, including many First Nations leaders supportive of LNG, have noticed his government's startling silence at this critical juncture, where we stand to build on the head start provided to us by the historic LNG Canada project, which, by the way, is uh, seeking to go into a second phase uh, to to grow their export capacity alongside the supply pipeline Coastal Gas Link. Uh, Those, of course, uh, through their construction, have been major employers for the last couple of years, including during moments uh, in the pandemic where everything else in the economy just wasn't functioning. And uh, many of the projects I've mentioned uh, vary in readiness. Uh, from you know already having a final investment decision and construction suppliers in place and ready to go. And uh, I've actually been hearing from uh, many people, including members of the Squamish Nation, that uh, the delays facing wood fiber are actively hurting the business certainty of uh, their supply businesses, uh, businesses that uh, are really fulfilling the spirit of economic reconciliation. Uh, and many of these projects uh, need regulatory approvals, uh, in the earlier phase of planning, uh, from terminals to transmission pipelines. But the unifying thread is the same. They represent BC's biggest economic opportunity today. Uh, workers across the province are ready to go to work. As I've said, Indigenous-owned businesses are ready to go, too, and they are very ready and keen for the opportunity. Uh, but most importantly, the world wants the energy that we can provide that would be produced here in northeastern British Columbia. Uh, actually, the world desperately needs that energy. And David Eby and his team need to find a way to get to yes. They need to find the gumption to get there and to respond with confidence to the demand for answers that many LNG champions across the province are really uh, pressing them on. And dodging these questions, as they have been doing, is only further going to hurt business confidence and their ability to say with a straight face that they are really honoring the spirit of economic reconciliation. Uh, When nations are advancing these projects, uh, if it's really um, the government's line that economic reconciliation uh, requires uh, First Nations to be uh, permitted uh, and empowered to pursue their own economic destinies, then uh, getting to yes on these projects is pretty essential. And the provincial budget also made clear the scale of need. We're in unprecedented times, truly, and the times of healthy surplus are now firmly behind us. So funding all the spending that's been laid out for the next couple of years really needs a way to pay for it. And, of course, if the provincial government wants to leverage this rapidly growing sector for revenues and jobs, they've got to stop the political waffling and see what is really the big picture globally in terms of climate and energy. And I would say that understanding how we've gotten here requires a little bit of insight into the BCNDP's greatest challenge. That's confronting the realities of 21st century consumer lifestyles with immense sustainability pressures. The climate is changing, and of course we need to shift how we live our lives and the energy we consume in order to uh, 
be more sustainable. But let's be clear, our lives require a tremendous amount of energy and raw commodities to maintain. BC has a lot of this. And, of course, access to abundant, affordable energy in the form often of fossil fuels is the reason we have nearly conquered extreme poverty. And it's also the reason uh, why, in fact, by 2030, over half of the world's population is expected to be living in the lower middle class or better. And many parts of Asia are in this transition right now with large chunks of many countries' populations entering the mid and upper middle class. And as your quality of life improves, so does your energy needs. So BC really has uh, a generational global opportunity here to embrace. Let's on, let's expand on this a little bit, Margaret. What exactly do you mean by middle class? Well, it's a pretty broad uh, term, and there's a lot of ways of defining it, but let me put it into context. Uh, it's access to prescription drugs, more or less when you need them. For example, if you have a chronic illness like diabetes, or you've recently undergone surgery to treat an impacted wisdom tooth and uh, you need antibiotics, it's having food in your belly and in your pantry whether you like to eat a nice vegetable curry for dinner or a spaghetti with meatballs. Uh, it's having ways to get to work in schools that don't require walking for hours, uh, whether you get there with private vehicles, a bike, or public transportation. Um, you know, the closer you get to using fossil fuels directly, the more obvious the case becomes. But uh, even the products uh, that we don't conventionally associate with fossil fuels often require them. A huge amount of plastics are in every product that we use in our daily lives, and uh, you need minerals, which are very emissions-intensive to produce in order to make many electronics. Uh, In many other aspects, uh, like being able to afford electronics manufactured efficiently a world away, those require this world based on resource commodities. And it makes it easy for us to do things like, uh, you know, wash our laundry without having to uh, labor over it for hours and hours Uh, or to talk to family on the other side of the planet, or to watch a full season of our favorite show from start to finish on our couch. Uh, It's having reliable power when you uh, want to flip the switch uh, late at night uh, to get some light in your house, or having heat or cooling when the elements outside aren't exactly comfortable uh, for human beings. And all of these things and more are a product of, not an incident of, modernity and resource extractive industries. Essentially, we live in a world that resources have built and continue to build, and these industries have rapidly evolved to keep up with vast shifts in understanding of how our lifestyles affect the planet. Um, So that's really what it boils down to, and that's really what's at stake here. Now, at the same time, we're talking about global quality of life. Canadians are experiencing unprecedented pressures to their bottom line. Grocery prices have been on an upwards trend for the last year and a half, and relief does not appear to be in sight. What do you make of it, and what do you make of how the political establishment has responded? Well, let me be really clear here. Inflation and the rising costs of energy are walloping consumers the world over. Canada is not unique in this case. And in some respects, we're actually very, very lucky. For instance, we're a major agricultural producer. And although we are a northern country, uh, consumers and businesses in Canada can usually carry the costs of uh, northern challenges like heating and you know, long-distance transportation uh, just fine. Our incomes are reasonably high, after all. But everything, especially food these days, has gotten a lot more expensive. And uh, where those costs would have been fairly manageable pre-pandemic, challenging, of course, with uh, rising cost of housing, um, they are now leading to changes in consumer consumption. 
Um, and, you know, just a case in point, I've seen a lot of buzz on social media over the last week. There's a local, local Vancouver grocer um, that has a, a speed sale uh, where lots of things like grapes go on for 3 or $4.00. Uh, you know, you may pay a lot more <laughs> for, for grapes uh, uh, when they're not on sale. And, uh, in fact, these, these sell out uh, by 10.30 a.m. every week, uh, every day that they do this uh, in a week. Um, and this really points uh, just to this fact that uh, people are really feeling the pinch. And I think it's fair that scrutiny is being applied at this moment uh, to the private companies that are involved in providing groceries, the grocery giants uh, who are, you know, if you read the reports, apparently raking it in in record profits. And in fact, the Agriculture Committee in the House of Commons yesterday uh, decided to put a few CEOs on the stand to account for these rising profits. And I really have to ask, are they on to something? But really, I'm not so sure. In fact, I would almost call this a classic case of misdirection. And uh, in fact, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh uh, made a pretty surprising move. He actually stepped into this committee. Of course, he has the right to do that. Uh, committee members can, you know, substitute uh, another member of their caucus. And he actually questioned CEOs like Galen Weston of Loblaws. Uh, Loblaws has uh, President's Choice Superstore shoppers, just to give you a sense of uh, how large they are. I think they're the largest uh, grocery um, giant in, in Canada. And I think this was really interesting because the way he phrased his questions was along the lines of, you know, is there a thing is too much profit? Uh, you know, wh- when, when will you folks stop? As though it's the fault of uh, grocery stores, that the costs associated with the production, transportation, uh, and sale of grocery essentials um, are, are in their control. Um, in fact, some pressures are in government's control. Uh, you know, carbon pricing is one. Uh, regulatory uh, challenges and red tape uh, sometimes limit our ability to produce the goods that we need for everyday life affordably. Uh, but ultimately, global supply chain challenges um, are the overwhelming reason for why we have this massive increase in costs. And these can't always be confronted head-on. They can only be maneuvered around. And I think what we saw on display yesterday was an example of MPs trying to show to Canadians, hey, we're listening, we're, we're paying attention. But I don't think they were really barking up the right tree on this one. They were barking very much up the wrong tree. Um, There's challenges that that we need to accept, and there's only a couple of ways we can really contend with those. Uh, So if you want to increase affordability while balancing sustainability, you need to drive your relative strength and economic performance. And that's a lot harder than grilling grocery CEOs for uh, half an hour on uh, broadcast uh, television. Mm-hmm. Now, taking all these many, sometimes competing priorities into account, what's the path forward for good political leadership in this country? Well, I'll keep it really brief, but uh, high wages and high economic productivity are our key to bolstering our relative strength and ensuring that all Canadians can have a high quality of life, even as the world experiences you know, different pressures. You know, This year, it's uh, high fuel prices fueled by a, a conflict in Eastern Europe. Uh, next year might be something else. Uh, we've, uh, you know, recovered now from a pandemic. Um, maybe there's another one. Maybe there's, uh, you know, environmental challenges we will experience uh, in the coming uh, decades. Um, but whatever it is, you need to maintain the relative strength. And a high-functioning economy is the way you do that. Uh, well-paying jobs that enable people to have money to spend, uh, as well as I mentioned, red tape and regulatory pressures. Uh, if those are in the control of government. Um, look at ways they drive down affordability uh, and your economic performance. 
Uh, at a certain point, governments need to choose what matters more. And although innovation can help and it is necessary, uh, it's only to a point. Um, so the most important thing here is not turning our back on our strongest opportunities. And British Columbia has one staring it right in the face. That's liquefied natural gas. There's many more. We have a healthy, uh, thriving, sustainable forestry sector, if the regulatory uh, environment permits that. And uh, lately, it has not been allowing that sector to thrive. And there's many, many more examples. But I really hope that governments can be realistic and respond to the real priorities that their citizens want them to, to be alive to. Margaret, thank you so much for your time. As always, we appreciate it. You take care. All the best.